If you're ready to feel like your best self, you have some room for improvement in your health, or you're looking to explore the infinite possibilities within wellness, then welcome to the Empire Wellness Podcast. Listen in to your host and renowned wellness expert, Charlene Lawrence, as she shows you how to build your internal and external wellness empire. Charlene is a licensed acupuncturist, certified hypnotherapist, and master of traditional Chinese medicine. She'll introduce you to the solutions that have yet to be on your radar. Now here's your host, Charlene Lawrence. Welcome back, Wellness Warriors. I'm Charlene Lawrence, your wellness expert. I am the Chief Executive Acupuncturist at Empire Wellness Center, and I'm the founder of the Hypnopuncture Method, combining the powerful tool of hypnosis with the amazing healing power of acupuncture. I am so grateful to have you on this journey with me to explore the infinite possibilities within wellness. It is my mission to educate so you can improve, and together we can empower, inspire, and grow. Let's dive right in. Justin DePego is an author, screenwriter, horseman, and artist with a passion for storytelling across multiple genres and media. He lives in a 100-year-old haunted house in South LA and is slowly fixing it up, but not exercising it, with his wife and their dog. Justin has written such films as Ghost of New Orleans, starring Terrence Howard, Lake Bell, and Josh Lucas, and Tempting Fate, starring Tate Donovan and Ming-Na Wen. He wrote, produced, directed, and starred in the award-winning independent horror feature Hashtag 1915House. Development deals include Touchstone Pictures and MGM. His debut novel, Exploring the Mean Streets of L.A.'s Skid Row, 7 O'Clock Man, launched to five-star reviews. His second novel, an illustrated urban fantasy, The Wrong Side of a Working Man, is out now. And this is largely what we concentrate on in today's episode. I want to read you a quick blurb from his new book, The Wrong Side of a Working Man, which I highly, highly recommend for its entertainment as well as its educational value. Now, I'm going to pronounce the character's name, and I'm worried I'm going to mispronounce it. So if I do, Justin, my humblest apologies. And to all of those out there who are Greek, I apologize if I screw up this name. The blurb from Wrong Side of a Working Man is, You see the world for what it is, and you know we are in trouble. Ills beyond the reach of bankers and cops, soldiers and presidents, and even kings threaten the fabric of our lives. What we need is a hero. Alex Sides straps on his tool belt one morning, only to find his wife is gone. His daughters fear him. He's lost his job, and a mysterious curse has thrown him out of balance with the universe. Ten impossible tasks in L.A.'s mythical underbelly stand between setting things right or losing everything, literally. I am so excited to get into today's episode with Justin. Please, please join me in welcoming Justin DePego. Justin, welcome. Thank you. It's good to see you again. It's been a long time has been a long time and I'm just really excited to have you have you on the show today and we're just going to dive right in so I'm curious what does wellness mean to you 
Yes, I uh, I knew you were going to ask me that, so I've been pondering it. And uh, whew, wow, I mean, I, I looked up the dictionary definition, and uh, you know, I'm a writer, right? So I'm a words guy. I'm trying to work my head. I know conceptually uh, what wellness means, but but that's sort of like just in my head, and putting that into language is difficult. Uh, so I, you know, it's not the same as fitness. It's not the same as being healthy. Um, it's a more, um, uh, all inclusive thing than that. And, and so I guess it, I, you know, I, I've been, I, the book that I wrote has a lot to do with, uh, being a Greek, Greek American, that kind of heritage. And as the, mythology and stuff like that. So I've been, I've been pondering that a lot. And, uh, and one thing that I keep coming back to is that sort of classic ancient Greek uh, philosophy. And I wish I could remember which either philosopher, thinker, poet said this, uh, but it became sort of a, a buzzwords for ancient Greece, which was moderation in all things. And, and, and I keep, that sort of keeps coming back to me because on the one hand, you can read that as being like, oh, well, it's, it's, uh, it kind of sounds ascetic uh, on a surface level. But if you, if you peel it apart, it's really not because, because what, we're, what, what, what it's saying is, is like moderation in all things, including moderation. And, 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 if, and if so, if you can achieve that, if you can achieve that sort of um, balance or, uh, or harmony, like I've heard you say, then that I think is wellness. So, uh, so yeah, so that's, that's what I came up with. I am feverishly writing notes. I like a lot of what you had to say. And you mentioned you're a writer. I know we're going to touch on this a bit. I actually downloaded your book and started it a few days ago. Excellent. And am loving your prose. You are a fantastic writer, in my <laughs> opinion. And That's I say a... that, I guess, with some, some, what's the word I'm looking for? Surprise in my voice. And I don't know why I should be surprised <laughs> by that. Um, having known you many moons ago. And... It is, I, I will tell you, I have been on my Kindle holding words down and looking them up in the dictionary on my Kindle because you have a way with the English language that I have had to look up some words and I'm rather well studied. So I'm, I'm very impressed with your writing style and I am thoroughly enjoying the book. I'm, I'm really, I'm very glad to hear that, 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 uh, you know, I'm, when you write something like this, uh, there's no um, immediate feedback, you know? So, and so the book came out, you know, a little, not long ago. I mean, it's essentially, it's still a new release. So the number of people who have actually read the book versus the number of people who purchased the book, right? I mean, so people are buying the book, but, but, you know, people haven't finished it yet. People like, so, so people who I've talked, there's a very small number of people that I've talked to that have actually read any of it. 
And so it's nice to, you know, finally you know, get feedback and, and uh, yeah, so I, I really appreciate that. I'm glad that I'm glad that you're enjoying it. And I'm glad that you're looking up words because yes, it is expanding my vocabulary yeah. <laughs> <laughs> as, as part of my uh, sort of philosophy, I guess, as a writer is that I don't ever want to, I don't want to use like, you know, $10 words just for the sake of using them. But I also don't want to um, sort of uh, coddle my reader and and uh, and be like, oh, maybe they this is the best word that I can think of for this situation, but maybe I won't use it because nobody's going to know what it means. And I, I decide, you know, I like I if I ever have that impulse, then I'm like, no, I'm, I, gotta, I have to use that word because it is if it's the best word for the for the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so far, I'm, and I'll confess, I'm only a few chapters in, and I read before I go to bed every night, and typically I make about a chapter before I nod off to sleep, <laughs> and so. Um, All right, well, it's, it's 20 chapters long, so. Uh, so it'll take so me 20 know. days. Okay, yeah. so it'll take me three weeks, a little less than three weeks. Yeah. I usually um, crank more out over the weekends, and so I'll be done soon. Good. Um, it flows really well, and that's that's what I mean by your prose is really excellent because it just flows well and the story is told very well. And, um, I, you know, if you haven't gotten a lot of feedback yet, I certainly like it very much. So I'm enjoying it. And then also knowing that you snuck in some of that underlying philosophy into the book. So I'm, I'm really looking for. <laughs> yeah. Well, those. no spoilers, but um, at the stage that you're in right now, um, it, I'm sneaking in the philosophy, the deeper in it won't, it won't be so sneaky. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So you brought up this concept of moderation in all things, mm. and then you added the piece that I think is very important is including moderation. And so I actually really detest the concept of moderation in all things, because I do sometimes work with people who are overindulging in things that we know to be harmful to the body. And so my analogy with that is moderation with methamphetamine? Like, is that, you know, I don't believe in such a thing. So I, I think it's very important that you kind of snuck in that little including moderation piece to it, because oftentimes I think we use this concept to give ourselves a pass. I know Mm. I've done this, maybe I'm projecting, but especially like through COVID over the last couple years, or maybe the first year and a half into the pandemic, I'm like, well, I can drink all the wine every night because it's helping me cope with all of this stuff. And then I saw that take a toll on my physical body as well as my mental health. And so also it was not moderate. It may have started out moderate and then it turned into not moderate. And so I like to remind people about not using it as a pass, like not using it as a reason to continue on an unhealthy path. Right. Now, do you think that's kind of where the Greeks were coming from, the ancient Greeks? Because they probably had a little less of the junk that we have in our lives today. Well, yes. I mean, they did. I mean, they didn't have the um, the uh, 
synthetic drugs that we have, but they certainly had alcohol. They certainly had um, uh, um, different. Um, I don't. I don't know because I. I know that in the in the Near East there have been ancient places that they found traces of cannabis inside of earthen vessels and things like that. I've never heard about anything like that from Greece. Um, the Greeks did invent um, uh, hard alcohol, like spirits. Uh, they invented, like beer was ubiquitous in the ancient world. Um, and it was arguably the Greeks who invented wine. Um, but as far as I know, I mean, I'm not a historian. It was the Greeks who invented hard alcohol, like distilled spirits. So there was that, and there were hallucinogens too. I mean, there were cults that were built around the hallucinogens that were so, the Eleusinian mysteries, for instance, we still don't know what they were doing in the cult of Eleusis because they were the mysteries. They, they kept it that secret that we still don't know what was happening in those caves. So, um, and, and we'll never know, uh, which is mind blowing. Uh, but um, actually my wife and I were just talking about this last night because of what you and I were just talking about a minute ago in, in the lockdown, um, we were enjoying our cocktails quite a bit. And, uh, and, and I, I mean, I, I love, I love to, and, and she does too. She's, she's, she's excellent at making, she's excellent at inventing cocktails. I'm very good at like, I can mix a pretty perfect martini. I you know, and, and, and so it's like, we were indulging in that, you know, <laughs> the, the world is ending, let's have a martini night, you know? And, uh, and it, it reached a point where we were both like, whoa, <laughs> okay, this is, this is not okay. And now, you know, I mean, we're going back maybe a year. Uh, where, or I don't know, time is a flat circle. I don't know. But, um, but just last night we were talking about this in re regards to uh, alcohol and, and the modern way we all use and the modern way we eat, you know, it's like the, the sort of the, the typical American dinner uh, is something that an actual, like in sort of pre-industrial times would be something that someone might eat once a season at a festival or something like that. And, uh, and, and the same was true in ancient Greece. I mean, yeah. Okay. They invented, they invented spirits. They, they, they certainly, they had all the ingredients right there at hand to make a martini. I mean, and, and maybe they did, maybe that was part of the Eleusinian mysteries. But those festivals happened once or twice a year. So I think that sense of, you know, that, that sense of moderation applies then as it does now, even though there were other substances that we have now that are perhaps much more dangerous or, um, although I'm mean, not that alcohol isn't. So yeah, I think it does, I think it does apply. And I think it's a continuum uh, at least in the Western world, I don't know that much about the ancient uh, world in the in the far, you know, in, in Asia or in the Americas. I know that everybody, every every culture has their hallucinogens and they have their intoxicants, whatever they substances actually might be. 
but um, but I am ethnically Greek and Italian, and so I know more from that uh, as just as like a cultural thing. So I think it is a continuum. And so I was curious, even in the last couple of days, starting your book, if you were Greek, because I know your last name and it's very, it, your last name is a lot more Italian to me yeah. than Greek. <laughs> so yes. you just answered one of the questions that I had written down. So are you Greek more on your mom's side? Exactly. My dad is, my dad is Italian. My mother was Greek. Um, I did the, uh, the 23 and me and um, was really expecting to find a range of, uh, uh, you know, of my DNA, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, all, all of Southern Europe, and uh, oh, you know, maybe, you know, maybe the Middle East and North Africa, because people got around, you know, but <laughs> it was like, it was surprisingly straight down the line, it was like, nope, all Italian on one side, all Greek on the other side, going literally back to the Neanderthals, and so <laughs> I was like, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it's uh, pretty pretty firmly there. Well, that is that is the first I've heard. I I know people who have done that DNA test and found, you know, expecting themselves to be like a hundred percent British or something like that, and there's seventeen different things. So that is the first that I've heard that it was really split down the middle. Yeah, I was really surprised. So I would love to hear about your wellness journey and then how it has taken you to writing this book, because you shared with me um, before we even got onto the podcast that the book is really about harmony rather than balance, which my audience knows I talk about. And so I'm curious just how your wellness journey has kind of taken you to this culmination with the book. Well, um, so I was always a very active, fit person. Um, and I didn't think a lot about health and wellness. And I, I, I would go to the gym and, 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 and work out, but most of my fitness came from just being very active and, uh, and as a writer, I had a lot of day jobs and, uh, and those jobs were always something that would keep me out and about and up on my feet. And, and uh, because I didn't want a desk job, you know, it's like write, writing, you know, if I'm going to be sitting and writing, then I, and I wanted to be out. So I was like, I worked on horse ranches and I worked in construction. Those were my two major avenues for, for day job world. And um and so I was, I was always very physically fit. And, um, and then I ended up with a full-time desk job and I, it completely like, well, for one thing, I didn't change the way I was eating. <laughs> so, um, so it used to be, I mean, I could literally eat anything and I was never like super into junk food or anything like that, but I was eating a lot of food. And, uh, and so suddenly I'm sitting there at my desk in this cubicle, just like physically like spreading out. And, uh, and it was, I became sort of unrecognizable to myself. And especially when I saw photos of me, I was, I was still very active. 
So I, I, you know, when I could be, but my schedule had completely changed. So there I am climbing a rock climbing on a, one of those artificial rock walls. And someone took a picture of me, which I later saw. And I was like, oh my God. I mean, I was still able to climb that wall, but I was in, to my own estimation, I, I did not look like Justin DePago. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because now um, I was always very wiry. Um, I'm 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 only five foot five, and and uh, and I was like I like when I graduated, like all through my college years and stuff. I was probably like 125 pounds. I mean, I was like I was this wiry, strong little sort of whippet of a of a person. Um, Anyway, that all changed. And then metabolically, I was changing too, because I was getting older, you know, I was like, uh, you know, in when I was approaching my 40s was is when I ended up sitting at a desk. So, um, so anyway, that all that all changed. And, uh, and then I started developing this pain. And, um, and nobody could sort of identify what it was and and how bad it was and i physically like i it, it didn't hurt too much to move my head from side to side or but but i i realized that i didn't do it because i was protecting my neck and so if i needed to look to my left or to my right i would turn my whole upper body you know and uh and it would get became worse and worse and worse and then there was this cascading uh cascading events in my life that were all negative you know my my mother died my uh my longtime girlfriend just like left um and uh and um what other what other things all happened in that period i i had to move out of the house that i was living in um my my dog got killed by my horse so what i was riding so i was like it was just like it was awful. It was just this awful period in my life. And all of these things were compounding on me. And, uh, and this, and I developed this debilitating pain to the point where I was completely paralyzed in my upper right quadrant. And, uh, and finally, after doctors and chiropractors and, and, uh, just the whole kind of runaround, um, they, they did, I, I managed to get an MRI, which I paid cash for because, they didn't want to do it. Um, and, uh, and I had a pinched nerve in my neck. And, uh, so it's too, it's a long saga. I mean, it was like, then once we knew what it was, we knew exactly what the treatment needed to be and I still couldn't get it done. And then, and, and so I'm waiting and waiting and I'm keep waiting to hear back from this pain specialist doctor. I'm waiting months, literally like to hear, just to hear back. And I'm talking to his assistant on the phone. I'm like, I don't know what's happening in there, but the, the, your doctor keeps saying that there's something with the calendar that they're trying to figure out. Meanwhile, I'm in pain. I can't move my arm. I know what the, the situation is, but I can't fix it. <sighs> anyway, so, um, so finally, I end up getting a couple of epidurals that, that, brings the pain down to the point where I can start doing physical therapy. When I began physical therapy, I could not 
lift. I could not do a curl with a two pound dumbbell on my right side. Um, and, uh, and then I, uh, on the, on the other side of physical therapy, actually during my physical therapy, uh, is when I met you, um, because I started doing acupuncture to help with the pain and inflammation and all of those, um, those related issues, which really helped. And I think that was like every week for about a year. Yeah. I feel like it was uh, quite a bit of time. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then I came out the other side of that and I was good. I was, you know, I was like, I was okay. And I, now I'm talking to the pain specialist, the doctor, and, and I say to him, okay, he's like, okay, we're done. You're done. You're, you're free to go and move about the cabin. And, uh, and I, and I was like, well, what does that, what does that mean? And he was like, just go back to your life as you were You're, you're And I was like, my life as I was really, and he's like, yeah, but uh, you probably, yeah, you should never, ever lift anything over 25 pounds. And you should never lift anything, no matter what it weighs, over your head. Um, you should probably never climb a ladder. Uh, don't do any uh, high-impact sports. Uh, you probably shouldn't ever get on a horse again. Yeah, and then, there, like, there was this whole list of things that I was never supposed to do. And I was like, you just said that I'm supposed to go back to my life as normal. You've known me for, like, a year and a half. How can dare you say that? the what you're prescribing is my normal life. So I had to reevaluate everything. Um, before before this this pinched nerve, I because I was at a desk job, I really did start hitting the gym in a way that I hadn't since my youth um, in a in a really sort of organized way because I was like, I can't just sit here at this gym. So I'm sorry, at this job. So I was in the, you know, I was lifting weights in the mornings and then I was boxing in the evenings and I was, um, I I was physically big and not, and, and so I, I became, and I still am. And, and so I transformed myself from that sort of 125 pound kid that I was to now I weigh 170, 180, depending on the week. Um, but I'm mostly muscle except right around the middle, but, um, but, uh, but I had to, you know, so, so, but I was lifting really heavy weights. I mean, I was, I was lifting, I wasn't a bodybuilder because that was, I was not trying to create, I wasn't body sculpting, but I was big and muscular. And, um, and then when I came out the other side of a year with you and all the physical therapy and all you know, the pain specialists and all of that, I had to change all of that. So I don't, I still am in the gym every, I, it's, it's hard to calculate how many times a day, or I'm sorry, how many times a week, but it, like probably four or five times a week. Um, and uh and, but I don't lift heavy anymore. And I completely changed my philosophy around the gym. And, um, and now that was, that was nine years ago. Uh, and I can do all the things on the list of things that I cannot do. 
um, except for one, which is I don't um, I don't box anymore. I don't spar anymore because I was in like before the pandemic and I, when I was in sort of like peak physical condition for me now, um, I was like, okay, I'm feeling good. And I was working with a trainer and, 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 uh, and we had met, he and I had met in the boxing world. And so this was, you know, so he was, he was, you know, we we're, so we were kickboxing and stuff, and, but we're all just, we're just doing drills. We're not, I knew I wasn't going to spar anymore, but I was feeling really good. And, uh, and we were, do, we were doing this one drill. We weren't sparring. All I had to do was block this kick to my head and, uh, and the impact I always, I was uh, to my hand up near my face was enough to trigger the issue in my neck because that's still there. It's, it's not um, like I was cured. I, I was, I just have mitigated it to the point where it doesn't, I'm not debilitated every day, but I will be dealing with it for the rest of my life. I, I still have issues with regard to it and i have bad days and all that kind of stuff but anyway one of those bad days came the day after this this blocking drill <laughs> i was like okay i can never ever do that again but that's really the only thing that's completely off the list so that is my fitness journey now i'm going to read you a passage from my book i if you can indulge me for a minute it's from chapter one or two and um it's just one paragraph. The muscle that runs from the back of your jaw to the sternal extremity of your collarbone is called the sternomastoclasmoid. Pardon me. Clitomastoid. Thank you. And we uh, shorten because, it for a reason to SCM. <laughs> okay. It's called the SCM because it connects the sternum, the clavicle, and the jaw. On the right side of Alex's neck, it felt like a copper pipe under his skin. He massaged the aching muscle but the source of the pain was a singularity deep in the shoulder, inaccessible to his strong fingers. Nerves radiated from the point like the sharp legs of a spider. Muscles swelled around the spot as if a wound there needed pressure to control bleeding. Medical jargon is intentionally dense and technical, but in this case, this process is plainly and so accurately called inflammation. Of course, inflamed does not mean swollen, it means on fire. The untouchable point of pain threw hot nerves and muscles into spasm around it. Alex or his wife chased the spasm with massage and heat and ice and even a combination of amethyst, angelite, and black obsidian without ever managing to crush the body of the spider. Uh, I think that's a very accurate um, uh, description of my pain as it manifested. Here's what's interesting. I wrote that paragraph 10 years before my pain manifested. No, I, that's an exaggeration. Five years, five years before. I did not have an injury that brought my condition on. It was cumulative, just, you know, getting banged around for a few decades. So that pinched nerve was already pinched when I wrote that, but I didn't know it yet. I had not experienced that pain yet when I wrote that passage. But then when my 
when my pain came to me, it was exactly as I described it there. Um, and it absolutely blew my mind. Um, and that is when I revisited the book um, because when I initially wrote the book, it was just kind of a romp. It was an adventure. It's, it is still a modern retelling of the 12 labors of Hercules. And when I first wrote it, it was basically just that. I mean, it was, it was that almost on a sort of grown up level of the Disney Hercules movie. I mean, it wasn't that whimsical, but it was, it was about as deep as that. Um, and then, and then this happened to me in real, in my real life. And, uh, and so I, I, I had to reevaluate the book and, uh, and then I, again, the book was put aside for my other work and writing and blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> and then at the beginning of the pandemic, all of my screenwriting dried up. Um, and I suddenly had time to work on this again. And so now here we are a couple of years later and the book is out in front of us. But I wanted to read that passage because it related not just to, I'm not just pitching my book. It's like, this is, you know, this, that's part of my journey that my, my wellness journey, writing that passage with that kind of detail means that somewhere in me, I knew that this was happening to me. And, uh, and I hadn't, but it hadn't manifested yet. So there's a lot that I want to come back to. Really fascinating. And I actually, I tucked that passage away that it just is funny that you brought it up now. Cause as I was reading it, I was like, this is so up my alley. Yeah. <laughs> it's all the medical jargon. Yeah. Um, and I'm all for manifestation and we also want to be cautious not to manifest those types of things into our world. Right. And then, you know, touching on, this is just so what I love to talk about and play with is um, how powerful our minds are in our subconscious and unconscious mind that you knew that deep inside your body, this was happening. And that's why those powerful words flowed to you and you were able to write them out and then it showed up in your world. Yeah. And I want to bring up, as you were describing your journey, and I, I remember that period of your life because I got to be a part of it for yes. a short time. And um, if it's okay with you, I will share yeah. with the audience. I was an intern still in the school clinic at the time that you and I met. And I was, I had the fortune to be able to help you. And you were the first person that I got to have a really hard conversation with. <laughs> and so it was a, it was a good lesson in bedside manner and becoming a true doctor, because I remember having the conversation after your doctor had said, you're not allowed to do any of these things. Mm. And that one of the reasons I got into the field of medicine that I practice is to not have to tell people that stop doing what you love. Yeah. Because I remember being a long distance runner and I would go into the chiropractor because I have little aches and pains. And the answer was, 
okay, we'll stop running. Hmm. Okay. Well, I'm three weeks out from a marathon, so let's find a different solution. (laughs) And I remember having the conversation with you about which is most important, like the horse riding or the boxing. And I do, I Mm. think we talked about that together and obviously you went on to continue to box and you lived your life the way that you wanted to. But I think after we had gotten one of the, one of the imaging reports, I don't know if it was an MRI, but I do remember the diagnosis that they had on there and it wasn't just a pinched nerve. There was a further problem that was also causing pain. And I remember telling you, I was like, if you get repeatedly bonked in the face or like hit in the head, (laughs) this is only going to get worse. And I know one of your big goals was to avoid surgery. And that's kind of what the doctors were saying was like your ultimate solution is surgery. And you said, I don't want that. And so I got the opportunity to have a hard conversation for the first time and say, okay, if we, if we had to rank all of these things that you love, which one ranks at the bottom and can go away. So I remember this time and, you know, when you brought up too, it was, it was a difficult period. You had lost your mom, your long-term relationship ended quickly that you were on a, you know, you were not expecting. And that has a big part in how our bodies operate and that inflammation that you were talking about, like Mm. you literally you're on fire. And so I've learned in the years that I've been practicing, the more I get into practice, the more I realize that our emotions play a bigger factor. And that stress is one of the biggest players in just exacerbating our physical conditions. And then, you know, we've been living in a new world. There's it's a new normal. There's no going back to the way it was before. And we all have kind of a heightened level of safety and stress and stuff like that. And so what I'm trying to get across really is that to have people pay attention to what's going on physically in their body, um, and connect up, connect that to the mental health. Like, is there a problem with that connection? Okay. So as I've said, I'm enjoying the book. I'm glad you got a chance to read that passage so that our listeners can hear what a phenomenal writer you are. And <laughs> I had no idea that you were working on this book for so long. So you said it's part of the 12 labors of Hercules. It sounds like it was a labor of love for you. <laughs> it, oh, it definitely was. I mean, it's uh, now I don't want to, I mean, I was not working on this book for a decade and a half, because there was a lot of time when the book was just sitting on the back of my desk. So, uh, but, but yes, I mean, it, it, it has been something that has been, um, well, yeah, a labor of love. And even when I wasn't working on it, it was a sort of touchstone. It was something I always thought about. I went back to before, you know, like chapter one of the book, before everything started before the adventure begins um is is straight up autobiographical so um 
so and and some of the other you know i mean it's like before things get like super weird uh so like when when alex is talking with his boss about um the advance and, and stuff like that and you know i mean these are all you know i in a way i feel like i'm cheating because i'm cribbing from my life you know i mean as a writer um uh but uh but that's that's one of the things that i always want to do is um it's like I could easily have chosen to write a memoir or autobiography about my time as a handyman in Los Angeles. Um, but I know that if that book came across my desk, I wouldn't want to read it. <laughs> it's like, like for me, I'm like, this might be really good and interesting and, and, uh, and all that, but I know I'm immediately bored just by hearing the pitch, you know, uh, and, and I have nothing against, um, memoir in like, if someone digs that, I'm not going to ever say, oh, that's, you're, you're wrong for liking that. I'm just saying that for me, that's not what I dig. And so I wanted to write something that I dig. And so I was like, how can I tell this story? And then, you know, so I bring in the other, the supernatural mythological elements in order to make it something that I would want to read and enjoy that still tells what the important part of the story. Because I don't know, for me, like who really cares how many skylights I can install in one day, you know? I am just getting to the supernatural part in the book and mm. I, that's actually right where I left off last night when I was reading is just starting to get to that um, more mythical part of the book. I'm very much looking forward to it. I'm actually, I always have multiple books going at one time and <laughs> one of the ones that I'm listening to right now is called Becoming Supernatural by Dr. Joe Dispenza. Mm -hmm. and way more scientific side of um, the supernatural. But it'll be fun to, as I finish up the Joe Dispenza book and I get more into yours, to see how the, the fictional side lines up with the nonfiction. Interesting. Um, go ahead and share. I, and I know it's, I'm sorry, since I read on my Kindle, I don't see titles. <laughs> hardly ever a book. So share the name of the title of your book. <laughs> oh, it's, uh, it's, it's wrong side of a working man. Uh, let's see, there's a, there's a hardcover too. Right? But, I, knew uh, it was, I knew it was working man and there was another W in there. <laughs> yeah. Wrong side of a working man. And so the last question I think before we start to wrap up is I'm curious because Alex, the main character in the book, has yeah. quite a temper. And you already shared that, like, the first chapter of the book with Alex, you know, being a handyman um, is based on your story. And so is the temper part, is that a little bit part of you as well? I think that that is, I'm conflating there because in the age that Alex is um, in the book, and when I was that age, I did not have uh, temper issues. Um, but as a much younger person, like probably um, through my college years, um, and then like you know, like as a as a teenager, like 
I had a rough adolescence. <laughs> so, uh, so, um, so that period of my life, I had that as a place to look back to, um, of experiencing that so that I can write about it. But in my real life, sort of the autobiographical, if you will, portion of this book, um, that part of my life would not have included the temper. Um, I was, I was pulling that from an earlier period of my life. Okay. I was just curious while reading, actually, <laughs> I was like, hi, I wonder if this is based on him. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I mean, yes and no, I guess. Yeah, parts of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we are going to begin to wrap up and I do have a few questions left. Sure. So if you could text one tip to everyone on the planet on how to be well, what would it be? Well, this was another one where you, you sent me crib notes. So I was able to think about this one for a while. And I, oh, wow. That, I mean, that's a tough one. And, uh, and then, you know, asking a writer to condense everything down into a text is like asking me to write a haiku. You know, I mean, it's like, oh, God, I'm gonna, I got to spend a lot of time thinking about that. But what I came up with this is this. I mean, since we're specifically talking about wellness, uh, and I think it would be that wellness is not a dogma. It's a journey. <laughs> <laughs> and then what's your favorite book? Okay. Well, this one, I literally did not. I, uh, well, I'm going to, I'm just going to, I'm going to pan my camera a little bit. This is my, there's, <laughs> That is my library. That's half my library. The other half is on my other side. Those are all, uh, those are all um, reference books over my, over my left shoulder. Over my right shoulder is all different fiction and literature. <sighs> wow. I mean, favorite book. I mean, that's, that's I, I can say um, that I, I was absolutely blown away um as a as in the seventh grade when i read the hobbit um because it, obviously it was a great adventure but what i really learned from reading the hobbit was that there is an authorial voice and that the author is a character in the story And, uh, and, and, and I remember there, I mean, there's a scene when, when, when Bilbo meets, um, uh, um, what's his name? Gollum in the cave. And, uh, and there's, I, I, I don't know the quote, but it's something like, uh, like Bilbo couldn't see his hand in front of his face. And if you were there, you wouldn't be able to either something like that. And, all of a sudden, this author, this author's voice was like addressing me directly. And the implications of that were vast because that meant that there was some entity out there, some unidentified entity out there that was telling me this story. And that means that this story is from that entity's point of view which means that 
this is not objective truth. And, 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 and so like all the levels of that, I mean, it like that affected me as a writer to this day. Um, and, and so I don't know if I'm going to say that the Hobbit is my favorite book, but I'm going to, I'm going to go with the Hobbit just because I had that sort of mind blowing revelation in the seventh grade. Um, that was not part, uh, I was reading it for in my English class. Um, but that wasn't like on the syllabus. That was something that I, that sort of, I discovered myself. I was like, oh man, J.R.R. Tolkien is talking to me. And now learning later on about Tolkien and his lore is, is, is sort of like the fiction behind the fiction is that Tolkien discovered this manuscript and translated it. So that authorial voice isn't Tolkien. It's whoever he translated the book from. Who and, and so it's like, oh, there's all these other levels, right? I mean, so yeah, so that, that, uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to go with The Hobbit. Okay, we'll definitely say it's your, the most impactful. Yeah, by the way, there will be no short answers, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I love asking this question, and I can always tell who's a big reader and who's not super into books because if somebody has a quick answer of what their favorite book is, then they probably don't read a ton. I, yeah. um, I'm going to, in the near future, have an opportunity to be a guest on a friend of mine's podcast. And she was on mine in season one. And I asked her this question and I could watch the wiring in her mind fry <laughs> because she could, yeah. she was like, I can't answer that question. And I know that she will reciprocate to me. And so I actually have a plan oh, I'm good. going to, because I know we'll be on Zoom. I'm going to literally take a piece of paper and roll it up into a scroll. I'm going to make a scroll and I'm going to stand up and I am going to unfurl the scroll <laughs> I love it. as, as yeah. um, my, my joke to her about, okay, I have a list yeah. <laughs> by genre. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I do have some lightning round questions, even if they're not going to be short answers. So I'm going to ask you four quick questions and I do want you to try to come up with just bam, 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 what your answers are. Boom. Off the top of my head. Here we go. What's your favorite food? Pizza. Mm, I know. What's your favorite exercise? Ooh. Wow. Uh, okay. Um, I'm going to go with the um, uh, over the shoulder medicine ball toss. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't play with the medicine ball very much. I like ever. it. It's like, it's completely full body dynamic. Um, but, you know, pick it up, pick it up from your down by your right foot, throw it over your left shoulder. And uh, yeah, like, like absolutely works every day. What inspires you? Ooh, um, I love to see the stories in everything. And like, hopefully this comes out in my writing, but everybody is the main character of their own story. And so all of the ancillary characters in my stories could potentially have a book written about them. And so um, I 
I kind of go through the world with that eye. I don't do it intentionally. It's not like I'm intentionally making up stories about people or or seeking out stories. I just that's the way I'm wired. And so that inspires me. It inspires me that there's just stories all around. Yeah. Awesome. And what is your biggest indulgence or guilty pleasure? I um don't have guilt about my pleasures. Um, I, having said that, I don't like, I, I don't have any like super harmful addictions or anything like that. So it's like, I'm, you know, oh, well, heroin. Uh, but, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but, so, so it's hard to say, oh, but, but I will, I, I'm going to say that the one, one thing is and I guess the Hobbit kind of comes into this is that and often people are surprised by what a nerd I am and because uh, everything we've talked about today in terms of me physically it's like oh yeah I box and I lift weights and I was a horseman and and all and all of that and so um, as a, a writer you could you could potentially get this image of me as this sort of Hemingway-esque kind of like you know drinker brawler whatever uh but the truth is is like at my core i'm pretty much a nerd and and so i i guess i do kind of i could totally info dump about star wars or or uh or the marvel universe or you know and 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 stuff like that and i know that I'm not, I don't feel guilty about that, but I am sort of a little bit shy about it because it's like, you know, everybody knows what everybody else thinks about nerds. So, yeah. <laughs> All right, Justin. Well, this has been so amazing. I am really grateful that we got to reconnect. Me too. It's, it's awesome. Yes, I know. Thank goodness for weird friend connections and social media. <laughs> right? Yeah, it, it really is good for something. It can be for sure. Yeah. So what's the best way for the audience to connect with you? Uh, well, everything everything is on my website, which is depegonow.com. Um, that's D-I-P-E-G-O-N-O-W, all one word, dot com. And uh, so you can find my books there. You can find um, You can find what kind of screenplays and movies I've been working on. Uh, you can find upcoming events, like if I'm signing a book and, and things like that. So that's a good, that's a good clearinghouse for everything. And, and my social medias are all there, Twitter, Instagram. I'm pretty active on both of those. Awesome. Yeah. So we will link all that up in the show notes. And then I'm going to encourage the audience to go get your book, The Wrong Side of a Working Man. Thank you. Yes. And I am enjoying it. And then I, as I was trying to find this book <laughs> to download, I noticed that you wrote another one, at yes. least one. So yeah. what is your other book? Well, the Wrong Side is my second novel. The first novel is called Seven O'Clock Man. Mm -hmm. It's a murder mystery, very noir, sort of modern noir, um, takes place on Skid Row in LA, where, um, where someone has been killing homeless men and nobody cares. So the only person that bothers to investigate this string of murders is another homeless person. Um, and so basically it's 
this strung out homeless junkie trying to, you know, totally ill-equipped to be a detective, being the only one that's trying to track down what's happening. Um, so that's the, uh, that's the first one. And then I wrote a fitness book. So you'll, and so you'll find that too, if you, uh, if you go to my website, a fitness book called, where is it called? Oh, it's called hashtag fitness tip. Um, and cause I do a lot of fitness tips on, on, uh, on, on Twitter, especially. Um, but mostly they're tongue in cheek. Like, um, there's a sort of a hollow spot, uh, in the floor at the gym when they pour the concrete. And if you drop your weights there, they sound heavier. So, so I coupled these sort of sardonic uh, fitness tips with actual actionable fitness advice and a fitness uh, 52 week fitness calendar that you can use to organize your workouts. So, yeah. Well, I am a fan. I will be getting the rest of your books. <laughs> oh, awesome. That, that's, uh, I'm glad to hear that. Well, thank you so much, Justin. Do you have anything else you wanted to leave the audience with? Um, I don't think so. I, I mean, I think we, we covered a lot of bases, so this was great. Before you go, there are three ways that you can help support this podcast. First, if you haven't done so yet, I would love for you to leave a five-star review and leave a comment on your favorite podcast platform. That helps get the news out there to others that this podcast exists. Second, Follow me on Instagram at EWCHealth, and anytime you like and appreciate a post, go ahead, like, comment, and click that save button. Again, boosting more visibility and getting this wonderful information out there. You know I'm all about educating so that you can improve, and together we can empower, inspire, and grow. Finally, if you want to help support this podcast in a financial way, I would love for you to go to my website at buymeacoffee.com slash empirewellness. You can leave as little as a couple of dollars, and that just helps support the editing and processing of these episodes so that they can continue forever and ever and ever. As always, be well. Whether it's improving your internal, physical, or mental health, we have more tools to explore the infinite possibilities within wellness. Be sure to visit us at empirewellnesscenter.com for more ways to connect with Charlene. There you'll find ways to educate, improve, empower, inspire, and grow. That's all available on empirewellnesscenter.com.